Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Talking Knicks. I'm here with my friends. Big Baby David and Tom Piccolo. We're going to talk a little Knicks. We're going to talk a little Last Dance. But in the meantime, hey, let's talk Knicks. All right. Um. Okay, we're back. We're going to talk about the Knicks here. Not a lot going on in the world of the Knicks, but there's always something brewing. And recently... Some hot talk about CP3, Tom Thibodeau, RJ Hampton, Charles Oakley. It's all it's all terrible. But let's let's start on the hot topic. Chris Paul. There's a uh, rumor swirling, as there have always been, that the Knicks may be interested in Chris Paul in the off season. So what do we I think we've touched on it briefly before, but let's really talk about it now. I don't I think his contract is He's crazy. He makes so much money, but so do other people. But he now, uh, Big Baby David just informed me he just turned 35, maybe today. Is that right? It is the birthday, yeah. Hey, happy birthday, Chris Paul. Uh, he's 35 today. That means he would turn 36 and 37 during the last two years of his contract. Not a lot of 37-year-olds still kicking on the basketball court in the NBA, but maybe Chris Paul could be an exception and still do it at a high level probably not worth 44 million dollars level but a high level at of of some caliber better than dennis smith jr so big baby david what do you think about chris paul i'm gonna skip the how are you i'm just gonna get right into chris paul i don't think well how are you is i don't think i'm allowed to be well so yeah um it's just society's rules um that said, I'm not, not too bad. Yeah, it'd personally. be tough. If I, if I said, how are you doing? You're like, yeah, I'm great. I'm doing really well. That'd be, I think everyone's having an awesome time. This is what I always wanted. Um, but yeah, Chris Paul. I, I do think that, like, the Knicks definitely, like, actually want him, right? They're not just saying the Knicks will do it because it's the dumbest thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Knicks are i mean they're trying to flip a page but apparently they may be flipping the page backwards to the classic knicks move of getting yeah. a passes prime superstar that makes too much money <laughs> i do i know i did just bad just call it the dumbest thing ever but uh i, I can be swayed on on some of the merits of going for it that said uh, the knicks have made it no secret they intend to get a superstar sometime soon chris paul at the end of two years from now, is he still a superstar? I don't know. Um, but definitely right now, he still would fall under the umbrella, at least by name, so right up the Knicks uh, alley there. And his his agent was Leon Rose, so a uh, good thing we hired him. Yeah. You know, I don't know how much having the eight-year-old agent be the president be since 
So he's not a free agent, so we have to trade for him still. But I'm sure Leon Rose <laughs> likes him. That makes sense. He made him a lot of money. He recently persuaded a team to pay him that much money. So good work, Leon. I imagine somewhere in there, he still believes it. And I guess we should say that like Chris Paul is still really good, even. This year, he was an all-star. Mm. I mean, he made, what, like $38 million, $38.5 million this season. But he was also – the team was so much better with him on the floor. Like, I'm looking at the stats right now, and they were more than 12 points per 100 possessions better with Chris Paul on the floor versus when he sat. And that was the best on the team by a wide margin. And so, like, there's an argument to be made that, like, this is a player who actually makes his teammates better a point guard who facilitates the offense, who gets guys in position and, and like puts people in for into positions for success. And, and the Knicks haven't had that guy in quite some time. And so I guess the argument for Chris Paul would be like, he would facilitate player development. And that's what the young guys need more than anything. Like our young core needs to develop. That's the most important thing. And if you think Chris Paul is the answer to that, then, then I think there's a compelling argument there. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. He just makes so much money if that's what the goal is. I mean, you got a lot of teams with that type of goal. You get like Jason Kidd on the Knicks back in the day for like the minimum or cheap, or you get just sign a guy like Jared Dudley for the minimum to just to hang out on your bench and be a a, a presence. But yeah, you find this guy forty-four million dollars to. I mean, like you said, he's really good at basketball. And he makes the team better. But if it's if he's there to teach lessons, the price is wrong. But if he's there to make us a playoff team, then I guess I guess he could do that. I, I don't I don't know any. I don't know how I feel about the Knicks anymore. I I think I mean going into the season, I don't think anybody expected the Thunder to be like close to a playoff seed playoff spot and they're the five seed how how much of that is chris paul probably a good amount um and how much of it is other guys developing and how much is chris paul to to be credited for those guys developing yeah it's it's impossible to actually quantify it but uh he is good and i think he there's a world where you sign him and yeah, it makes the Knicks a playoff team. And you get into the question of like, is that what the Knicks should want? And like, maybe, maybe it is. Cause they have, they have all the picks and they have a few young guys that are already here and you might want to teach them what trying is, but I don't know. And I guess part of the question is like, does Chris Paul actually get you into playoff contention? Like, so I'm just looking at stats now. He averaged almost 18 points per game, about seven assists, five rebounds uh, on, on some very good shooting, some, some strong shooting. He shot uh, 50, almost 56% from two, 36% from three, and 90% from the free throw line. Um, like, I guess my point would be like you're not just paying for, uh, for him to teach, right? Like you're definitely getting on-court production. But as good as he is, like, is 35-year-old, 36-year-old Chris Paul good enough to, to make the Knicks a playoff team? I'd question that. I, I, don't, I don't know what the other pieces around. Like, at this point, it's like you're paying him this much money to help develop the young core. But I don't think the expectation goes to playoffs at that point. Like, it's, it's still just like, 
be a lottery team, just a mid lottery team that's like learning how to win. Like, like kind of to your point, BBD. Yeah, not bottoming out for sure. It depends on the rest of the off season as well. And I, I do think Chris Paul does make other people better because that's kind of been his whole career is trying to make guys better around him and facilitating the ball well and and all that, providing veteran. He's always been like the veteran leadership kind of guy. Um, it depends what else you do the, this offseason. It also depends on like what the Thunder want for him because he has been good for them. So in theory, they want something of value in order to you know, give you Chris Paul. But uh, but I don't think any of us are ecstatic that you have giving up like many picks on the Knicks end or picks and one of the young guys we actually like. Uh, just to get Chris Paul on like the worst contract ever. It's like, <laughs> yeah, if you were giving us like a pick to take on the deal, absolutely. I I'm excited about that because of the leadership and making us be- a little bit better. Um, and you get an extra asset, but. Like, he's been good for the Thunder, and I think they like having him. So, like, why would they do that? Yeah, and I, I think, uh, yeah, we can get to what Ian Begley from SNY kind of proposed as a potential trade package. But first, I was just I was thinking about, like, what Greg said about just how much money this is to take on. But then you kind of look at what the Knicks have traditionally spent their money on, it's, and like say you, you take this past season, for example, where all this money went to, to Bobby Portis and Julius Randle. And like, you know, you could just as easily say like that's a waste of, of the cap space, right? Like if you, and if you go out next season and you kind of and do the same, like use the same methods and, and you sign similar types of players, I know the goal would be to not do that. But like how many guys are, are going to be free agents? Like who's actually attainable and who actually would the Knicks want to get? It's just as likely, I feel like, that the Knicks go out and have another kind of year that they just did where they overpay some guys on, on short-term one-year deals to keep their flexibility open. But at some point, if you just keep doing that year after year, you might as well have just signed a bad, a, you know, quote-unquote bad contract earlier of a legitimately good player, right? Because it the point is, what else are you using that money on? Yeah, that's fair. And then going to what BBD said um, about is he – what did the Thunder want for him? I know before the season even started, there was rumors about Chris Paul getting redirected to Miami before this season. Uh, and the reports were that Miami thought they would need something in order to take <clears throat> on Chris Paul and his contract, and the Thunder thought – they would need something in order to give up Chris Paul. So that we're still in that kind of stand still here. I know before we started pot and Tom also mentioned that the possibility of the cap coming in lower than it is probably not even a possibility, probably just going to happen since we've just missed two months of NBA basketball. And when it does come back, there's not going to be people in the stands, I assume if it does come back at that. So that's that, that's all missed revenue. If there's no playoffs, then the cap is going to be ten dollars next year. Um, but I, I just don't know. It, relative to if the cap comes in lower, that forty-four million dollars is even is even bigger. So I don't know. We don't know. Chris Paul makes sense from a basketball perspective. Maybe not dollars wise or asset wise. I guess 
there's there's a world where if you think about especially going into last season not including Chris Paul which roster do you like did you like know was better and you could have argued that like thought have a bunch of unproven young guys and then a couple of vets they have a few more vets who are doing nothing before the season and like Shea Gilgis Alexander turned out to be actually good you could argue that the Knicks have more talent considering pretty much everyone on the Thunder team is guys the Knicks passed on. Um, so higher picks because they, in theory, have more talent. So bringing in Chris Paul helps. And, like, we, I don't know, we don't like this year. Uh, well, they already decided this year's draft uh, order. So, or did they? So, so, like, forget what I was about to say. Um, but I don't know. It's not like, I don't know, next year's draft pick class is actually supposed to be good. I don't know. I don't know what I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very it difficult question. It's hard to know what to want. Yeah. And and I guess just to go back to what uh, Ian Bagley had reported as a possible trade package was straight up just mm. – it was Reggie Bullock and Kevin Knox for Chris Paul. Um, and that, I feel like, would get you laughed out of the room from OKC's side. And, and is that how you guys feel too? I mean, I, I will say from my perspective, like, deal. You know, after we just had this entire conversation about, you know, that sounds like a terrible idea, and then you give me that trade package, and I say, yes, that's, I would definitely do that trade. So I think that answers how, how the Thunder would view that. Yeah, I, mean, I, assume that I assume teams offers. around the league, like, aren't banking on Kevin Knox's talent and thinking like they can mold that because he's only gotten worse like every month of his career. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, I, I don't see how a team like banks on, on bringing Kevin Knox. Like, well, we, we can fix him if they're not also getting like something they like, unless they are just trying to get out from the contract. Cause yeah, I mean, the, the, I guess the alternative would be, the Knicks saying, we'll give you Reggie Bullock, Kevin Knox, and Julius Randle. And that gets you left at even more, I guess. <laughs> you think that's even less enticing. <laughs> we'll uh, give you, and we'll give you our best player. It would just, it would be shocking to me if the Thunder actually were interested in that deal because Chris Paul has made them a, a playoff team and given the young guys, their young core, like a, a super positive and invaluable experience. Um, Reggie Bullock and Kevin Knox makes them demonstrably worse. So I, I just don't – like, given where they are, it doesn't make sense for them. And if you had any belief in Kevin Knox, maybe you would say it doesn't make sense for the Knicks either. But I think this – I mean, this podcast in general has made a routine of just getting to the end of an hour-and-a-half-long podcast and be like, oh, we forgot to mention Kevin Knox. Oh, well, maybe next time. Like, that's kind of how – faded he has been from our memories and just he's been trash on the court and and granted he's tw what 20 years old and he he showed so many flashes his rookie year but you watch him play and you're like this guy doesn't seem to have a great feel for the game doesn't have a, uh, a super high basketball iq and he just like doesn't make winning plays he doesn't always seem to be trying that hard i don't know I, i'm not high on kevin knox at mm. this point um and i don't think that's very controversial on this podcast that's, you won't that's... hear a counterpoint from us. And, <laughs> yeah. and on top of that, it's not like he has like 
just insane physical tools that like he just pops off the screen and it's like wow someone can harness it despite the looking like he has zero natural instincts uh on a basketball court it's not like he's like so fast and jumps high and is just this athletic specimen for and on the nba player scale where like you could see someone with like even dsj who similar but his whole game is predicated on the athleticism he's supposed to have. So you can see a team thinking they can harness that, where Knox doesn't have that. He's got some good so athleticism, like, not the he same. He has good DSJ. athleticism, but DSJ is, like, supposed to be a freak. Yeah. Knox isn't like, I feel like ultimately freak. where we're ending up is, is it, it really just depends, like, whether we think the Knicks should pursue Chris Paul. depends entirely on what the package would be to get him. And I, I just don't see there being like a lot of overlap between what we as Knicks fans would be willing to give up and what the Thunder organization would be willing to accept. I feel like there's probably a gap that's pretty wide there because, you know, if you're a Knicks fan, you're obviously not willing to mortgage the future and give up on guys like Mitchell Robinson or RJ Barrett. Um, you know, if Frank comes into the picture, I think that gets pretty dicey. I, I don't Where do you guys fall on that? If, if Frank is part of the deal, what, what, what do you guys feel like? Um, if it was the same deal we just laid out and it's like Bullock and Frank, uh, like, like it was for Bullock and Knox, I definitely prefer getting rid of Knox, but uh, I think I'd ultimately be okay with getting rid of Frank. Cause I think the thunder would want him more. Um, but, but uh, I would rather keep Frank than not. Yeah. I, I feel think like that's kind of getting think... Chris Paul to teach like Frank and, RJ and Mitchell Robinson had to play basketball well. But yeah, so at the end of the day, you would trade Frank and I'd, I'd accept. I wouldn't be furious if it was like that's the only valuable thing the Knicks gave up. Yeah, but I think and Frank, then it's like. I mean, if you look at it from Oklahoma City's perspective, they'd just say, "You're not giving us Frank for Chris Paul. <laughs> What's going on right now?" <laughs> I think that's how. Right, and that's the other thing is like they would look at Frank, and maybe they just like look at his per game numbers, and they're just like, Chris Paul is an all star and helps the <laughs> win games and get to the playoffs. Frank is like not a good player on a very bad team. Yeah, so um, I think it's just, I'm just saying from start. their perspective. Yeah, so that's just. And that's your... what I'm saying. There's this gap, right? You just have to believe in your own guys if you're a Knicks fan, but. I think you'd just have to trade pretty much everybody except for RJ Barrett and Mitch for Kevin Knox. If if that's the trade that happens, I don't think there's a way you can be mad at it if you're the, if you're a Nick fan. And I just think given the state of the two franchises at this point where they are, like they're not, they're not going to come to a direct, like uh, an agreement. I don't, I don't think it just doesn't, I don't think there's a sweet spot in this deal that would make sense for both sides. So, you know, I know it makes for good, like, fodder to talk about, but I, I don't see this happening at all. Yeah, well, let's hope so. I mean, I, I think we, we can move on. This is just starting I to get do, I do have one, one more note on Chris Paul. Like, I guess there's a world – this is, like, the first time literally in my life, we've said this before, that they have more draft picks than, like, years ahead of them. So – I suppose there's a world if you throw a couple like lottery protected firsts that become like guaranteed seconds or something and they have some good second round pick options or whatever. 
Like if they make if they make the playoffs, it becomes the Pistons second, something like that. I think there's a world that's like the the closest thing I can see to being a compromise instead of giving up like a an actual player that we like that we like and air quotes and uh like giving up straight up like first round picks. Yeah. And also at this point the Thunder have so many picks that like at some point yeah, do, you do even, they want do you even want more picks? But I guess you can never have too many because then you can just trade for an actual player. Like yeah. I suppose there's a there's also a world where it's like three way trade and they're getting a guy that they actually want long term oh, and flipping like their picks and like a pick the Knicks include, but it's like impossible to try to pretend we can make up the framework of that. Yeah, I get it. Like if they were getting like Bradley Beal or someone like Victor Oladipo, probably not Oladipo yeah. since he was already on the team and then they got rid of him. So just someone like that. They I mean, traded this... him for the guy they traded these picks. They traded him <laughs> exactly. all these picks for. Very roundabout way of, of getting your, your guy. <laughs> um, so I mean, I'm just getting sad at this point. So let's just get a little sadder or, or happier. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. The next topic is Tom Thibodeau, uh, coaching candidate. Um, rumors are that the Nets and somebody else that I don't remember. Rockets. Rockets are also interested in pursuing Tom Thibodeau. Um, given the choice, I would assume he would pick one of those other two teams, just like Mike Budenholzer picked the Bucks over the Knicks. <clears throat> so I, I know a lot of people aren't too high on him, but he puts out a good product, makes people play hard. Didn't work out in the for the Timberwolves as much as it did for the Bulls. Uh, but he did lead the Timberwolves to their first playoff appearance in a very long time. Timberwolves were actually top four in the West before Jimmy Butler got hurt for a little while. And then they ended up grabbing the eight seed on a final game, regular season game against the Nuggets when winner went in. And they won. So they went in. Yeah. So that was good. Was their like, only good season in like six years. So I guess you got to give Tibbs credit for that. And, and everyone knows what he did with the Bulls. I guess if you're getting Chris Paul, that's – it makes a little more sense because then the team's trying. Thibodeau will like squeeze out every win you can get. That like nobody's ever denied his ability to get as many wins as possible and maximize a team's like regular season capabilities. But uh, do you yeah. do the Knicks? Does it like benefit the Knicks to squeeze out all their talent with Chris Paul, get the sixth seed, and then like just have RJ hate it here by the time he's twenty four? I mean, and have blown out knees. I mean, how many people blown out knees has he really has Thibodeau really done? Derrick Rose. No, Joe Kim got injured, but he was he's old now. Yeah, I I'm guess old. Thing. old. I, don't, I don't know. I, I do feel like Thibodeau I, is is sort of prone to not really caring as much about like the sports science like advancements that have been made he's kind of an old school coach which you know there's definitely some merits to that like the toughness and, and he's he's the opposite of Fisdale in a lot of ways where Fisdale I, I it seemed like he was such a player's coach but that was sort of code for just I think he let players walk all over him a little bit and Thibodeau doesn't really stand for that but I, I do think he he doesn't pay as much attention to the load management stuff. I, you know, I think he kind of rolls his eyes at that sort of thing. Um, and, I, and I do think that is, that is important in, in today's league. Like that it's 
to at least acknowledge it and to and to be open to the the data and, and what it's saying. Uh, I, I don't know. Is Thibodeau like that much of an upgrade over Miller? I, like, I'm curious if they just brought back Miller, would you guys be upset about that? I mean, if, if we bring him back for next year, when I don't, I don't have any expectations whatsoever. I, I don't care. I mean, I wouldn't sign him. Obviously, I don't think they would sign him to a long-term deal at this point. But you just let him try again for a full season, based on the turnaround he did after Fisdale got fired. We talked about it last week. They brought back Perry on one for one more year, and uh, so I guess do the same with the coach. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like it makes sense to actually like keep seeing what Mike Miller's, what Mike Miller is. Um, it feels silly to let him just like leave. And when like we've, there's a lot of things we've liked about him. There's, there's downsides too, but we haven't even seen a full year from him. We got like half a year of, of watching Mike and, Miller. And, like, and we watched, we watched a lot of Mike Miller coach games and I didn't think he was like brilliant by any means, but I did think he was an upgrade from Fisdale and how many coaches in the league are really like game changers who will go out and win you game? A lot of the time you just want them to not take anything off the table to just not screw up everything. And with Fisdale, it felt like he just let the players do whatever they wanted out there on offense. Like he just let Julius Randall and Bobby Portis ISO and post up every single play. And he, his rotations were mind boggling. And frankly, Miller's were two at times, but I think they were, at least better than Fisdale's were. Um, I don't know. I at this point, if Thibodeau got brought in, I I don't I wouldn't be super excited about it. But at the same time, like he's a big name. He's I don't know. It's hard because I go back and I, and I look that's, at what I was saying. That's about like exactly Fisdale. where I'm at. Yeah, I, that's where I'm I am. Torn like, about I'm, it. Not gonna be, I'm not going to be stoked, but uh, but like I'm. I'm not gonna sit here crying if they hire Tibbs. They they seem to yeah. have like circled him and want him. And there's always been the rumors about him always wanting to be the Knicks coach. So like some dots to connect. Also at this I'd be curious to see how he does, you know. That's it. At, at this point, who would be a home run hire, you know? I I don't think anything can go right. We brought in Phil Jackson to be the president. We were all really happy about that and it was the least fun we've ever had, maybe. I know the he only, wasn't coaching, but you just assumed Phil Jackson would do something good. He yeah. did. Everything looked good going into that. Um, <laughs> that's the Knicks. The only guy the Knicks could like hire, go get that would like make me excited is Kenny Atkinson, just because everything we know about Kenny Atkinson seems like he'd be the perfect fit for where the Knicks are as a franchise. They've been. It feels like they've been like sort of loudly uninterested for some reason um so i I just like i just like do not expect it to happen but he would be my top choice but i'm actually with that like i would i think i would also be more excited for kenny atkinson over thibodeau he just seems more like a modern coach just given what we saw from that nets team when they were developing um and yeah it's not like i'm an expert but that is that's kind of how I'm feeling. Greg, what do you think? Like, would, would you be more excited or less excited about Atkinson or Thibodeau? 
Um, I mean, I don't know that I, I wouldn't have any strong preference. I'm, I'm more of a Thibodeau guy than, than everybody else. I think I'm not, I'm not like, let's get Thibodeau, but also if they got him, I'd, I would be fine. And if pretty much whoever they got, I would be fine. I've, I've, I'm done getting over excited about coaches and just seeing them be the worst coaches possible. So this is tough. I don't know anything about coaching. So unless they get Popovich or Rick Carlisle, I don't, I don't have an opinion. <laughs> Exactly. Like how many coaches like really matter? And it's, it's a few, it's like four. Um, you just want to coach, you just, you just don't want to coach that messes everything up. And, and, you know, it, it felt like Fizdale kind of did mess everything up. So, and, and Mike Miller more or less stayed out of the way and, and was more neutral. And I think that's kind of all we can hope for. Maybe that's a little Nick's fatalism creeping in there, but that's, that's how I'm feeling here. That's fair. Yeah. What oh, else we have to talk want to go about? Back, if you want to go back real quick to the free agent market, um, one player – or was this in a trade? Let me see here. One player that people were talking about was Christian Wood. Do you guys have any opinions about Christian Wood out of, out of Detroit? He's a – this past season he was 24 years old. He averaged 13 points a game, six boards. Um, he shot – he shot really well. He shot – 57% from the field and that's so that's 63% from two and 39% from three so he was a he was kind of like a, a stretch four a little bit but it was hitting from everywhere and I don't know people were excited about him he, he's uh, he's been in the league since since 2015-16 and he's a guy I've never even heard of right like he's been in the league for mm. four seasons I've never really even heard of him until this year when he started playing really well in field in, uh, in Detroit so um, this year was I don't know, do, you guys have, do you guys have any takes on, on Christian Wood? He makes to me he makes sense as like a guy to target because he won't be the most expensive contract ever, but it also seems like a classic guy who uh seemed to just get good and wasn't ever good before. <laughs> the Knicks overpay him a bit because they, they'll give him a real contract, which he's earned. Um and then he just like isn't good anymore or I mean, I guess if this is as good as he gets and he's being paid accordingly, that's fine. It's a, it's a good piece to have. I, I'm not going to be mad at the idea of it as long as it's not a gross overpay. He's interesting and his story is very compelling. But uh, he's not like a guy I'm, I'm sitting here like wanting. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know what he's going to get paid either because I know at the, at the end they gave him the keys to the kingdom after they traded Drummond to the Cavaliers and they cut Reggie Jackson. He was just the guy on the team and he was balling. So I don't know that he's going to. So he's an unrestricted free agent right now. Is that what the deal is? Yeah, I think that's right. And I, then, I, don't, so. I don't know that he's going to get paid based off the 13 and six. You just listed. He may be getting paid off of his last more recent tear at toward, after they got rid of everybody and gave him the, gave him the star yeah, power. Let him run. But um, yeah, he's unrestricted. Also, he is like the only player on Detroit now. So I would have to assume that Detroit probably wants to keep him. But I don't know what Detroit's doing. They traded Drummond to the Cavaliers for nothing at I all. I suppose if they plan to bottom out, he might be too good for what they want to do next year. I don't I – mean, that feels silly, I guess. Sounds like something, sounds like something the Knicks would say. Yeah it, yeah, it feels like a silly reason to let him walk for nothing and they get no return. Yeah, no. Oh, and the also the other thing about him that I read on Twitter is that he had a very low assist rate. So him and 
mm. Mitchell Robinson playing next to each other would just be a, a dark hole on offense. Maybe not the best. I mean, he's a bit, much better to shoot than Julius Randle. Randle wasn't uh, a passing savant himself. So, if also, if Julius Randle was still on this team in this timeline, then then this is just bad. He's much – he seems to be at least a bit more capable of of creating for himself and playing consistently, although I guess he was bad for a long time and this is the first time he's good, so maybe consistent's not the right word. But he's been good. The idea of next year having a lineup that – plays often that is Randall, Christian Wood, and Mitchell Robinson scares me a lot, very, very much. Um, but uh, that's in line with what the Knicks like. Yeah, it sounds like the Knicks to me. Yeah, I think that's all right. And uh, I, I want I, I don't think I really want much to do with him. Um, <laughs> yeah, what Greg said, <laughs> If I were a team that's if I were a team that's competent, I would be excited to to see what he becomes and everything. I don't need that team to be the Knicks. I'm I'm rooting for you, Christian Wood, but I don't need you to be like the Knicks guy uh, at all. Yeah. All right. So, did we have any other Knicks topics? I feel like I I listed more. I have like two half things about the Knicks now that I'm thinking back. Kind of. Of course, the Knicks can't be normal during this, and they have like their own kind of specific issues. Ah, yes, of course. Um, we uh, what one thing? First of all, one thing to mention is that I guess that not this off season, but next off season is supposed to be a big free agent year. So bringing in Chris Paul would be it affects that off season a lot if they do think they can sign people, but also I don't think people would want to sign here if they don't have Chris Paul here and it's just these young guys one year from now plus whoever they draft um this felt like something I should note no yeah um but the other thing I I said this in the group chat I do have a Chris Paul question for the podcast I'm, I'm interested to hear your guys answer uh so if the, the Knicks they go out next year or this summer whatever whenever the offseason happens could be in the fall, the way things are looking. They trade for Chris Paul, whatever that is, whatever that ends up being the trade. He's on the Knicks. What seed would he have to, like, drag the Knicks to for that to, like, count as a championship on his Hall of Fame resume? I th- I personally think <laughs> if he gets the Knicks, like, first home court advantage in the first round, four seed or higher – Regardless of what happens after that, if he can do that in either the next two years, that that's a ring. That's pretty. That's that's probably fair. I mean, what did <laughs> Melo got them the two seed one year, and other than that, and I at think the it bottom counts. Half. We celebrate that team. Yeah. So Chris Paul would he would be big time if he got us the home home court in the first round. But I think it also comes down to to winning that round. If he gets us to the second round of the playoffs, he could be the eighth yeah. seed if he gets us to the second round of the playoffs. That's a, that's, that's a true. Yeah, he can't go getting upset. He, yeah, he can't go getting upset in the first round. But regardless of what seed he is, yeah, if he gets to the second round, but is that even like is that even feasible with with the with a roster that could actually happen? Chris Paul dragging the team to a 
a top four seed in the East, I don't think that's even in the realm of possibility. (laughs) That's why it would count as a championship. Yeah. I mean, who else is even in the East anymore? East is terrible nowadays. It's just – I mean, there always has been. What do you got, the Bucks, Sixers, and – Raptors are still good. Sixers are disappointing. Oh, you you guys know who – who Nick's Twitter has been debating a lot recently is Fred Van Vliet and Ooh, whether the Knicks should mention shouldn't it. make a move on, on him. Uh, I'm curious to, to hear what you guys have to say about Fred Van Vliet. I, I saw, I'm just saying, I, I saw some people... Um, yeah, yeah, I've seen yeah. the debate. I think it was uh, Budum. You guys know B- Budum from mm, SB yeah. Nation, maybe? Um, from, from Posting and Toasting. He compared it to... Tim Hardaway Jr. being like, this is a guy who, like, I don't know, he, I actually forget the exact reason why he compared him to Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, seen, seen good <laughs> development or something. and I, I forget what it was, but in general, being a restricted that was a comparison or whatever. Um, I, um, I think, I, oh, I think it was he, he had less of an offensive burden, right? Like, if Fred Van Vliet was not the number one option on this established team in toronto that was it like they had an offensive system and uh and he wasn't the go-to guy whereas he would come to the knicks and automatically be like the first option and so his usage would go way up and his efficiency would likely tank when he's like the go-to guy and defenses are loading up on him and the knicks have their you know nick nickish offense that he just wouldn't be the same player as he is in toronto that i think that was the argument yeah that um that's correct. I uh, I'd be m- more I'd be more excited about it than I would, than I probably would for Christian Wood. Probably, I guess depends on the contract. What either of them sign with whatever teams. Um, I'd be more, and if all else is equal, I'd rather have Van Vliet than Christian Wood. If not for anything else, then like positionally, but. Uh, and Van Vliet's like likable and has been good, but do I want to over? Do I wanna, do I want to have another Tim Hardaway Jr.? Not, not really. Where we're paying a guy the salary of like the third option, but he's kind of got to be the first option on this team, and like he's probably best as like the fourth option. So, I guess I one of the big differences to work for the Knicks. One of the big differences for me is that Van Vliet actually like runs the offense mm. versus Tim Hardaway Jr. Who I guess like the offense kind of ran through him, but it, he would just sort of, he would end possessions with shots and turnovers. He wouldn't really like yeah. facilitate or initiate possessions. Right. And so I, I'm looking at a, a Jonathan Macri of Nick, Nick's film school, his uh, column on Van Vliet and he put out there, uh, the, the same deal that, that the Pacers gave to Malcolm Brogdon for Van Vliet. That's a four-year, $85 million deal. Um, and, and he said that he would actually do that. If, the, if he were the Knicks, he would make that offer to Van Vliet. Um, I don't know. That, that does seem a little reasonable to me, and I'm, I'm curious what you guys think. I just don't have a good concept of, of contracts anymore since the, the explosion happened when – you got people making forty million dollars a year now, so it's it's 
that's like you tell me Fred Van Vliet skinned four years, eighty-five million dollars. I think that's a lot of money for Fred Van Vliet. But even relative, uh, even understanding that the cap is like in a ridiculous place right now, where people get it. Just it does just still feel like a lot. I I guess I'm 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 torn between him, Christian Wood, trading for Chris Paul, pretty much every option that seems to be on the table for the Knicks over the next two years. It feels like none of those are the answer to helping the Knicks get where they want to go sooner. But kind of at at some point you gotta try something and like try being excited about one of these guys you're taking a chance on. I suppose the Knicks as a front office have done that a lot, but as as fans, I think we've always been like, well, no, this isn't the guy, <laughs> um, or I would I don't want to trade for X Y Z because. Like that just feel feels silly for what you're giving up or what contract you have to give them. But at some point they do have to like go get somebody. Yeah. I mean, if you're giving Julius Randall this three years, 60 million, or it's effectively two years, 45 million or whatever, you might as well. I, I mean, four years for Fred Van Vliet on that deal. I mean, I, I, what do, you, do you guys know what he posted this year? 18 points or 16 points, something. I the numbers that, are good this year. And the, the Raptors also are on an actual good team. Legitimate two seed. Maybe. It probably makes sense. Brogdon was the uh, – Brogdon was injured a good amount of last year, even though he was like a key player on that Bucks team. But if you're like the number two option on the number two team in the East – Hey, probably worth four years, eighty-five million dollars. Now that I've I've really thought this through. Uh, yeah, but- his numbers his numbers really are impressive when you when you look at those eighteen points per game, six point six assists, um, almost four boards, almost two steals. Um, very solid. Uh, it's also good that yeah, he's he's a two-way player. The thing is, is he's very small, but he's he's strong and, and stocky. So I feel like he doesn't he doesn't seem like such a liability on the defensive end, even against like bigger guards, but at the same time, part of Frank's value is like, I know I'm bringing up Frank here, but like he's a big guard who can defend point guards and switch on to bigger players. Like I always like, like Frank's value is at its peak when he's playing point guard because of that defensive versatility. Um, him playing next to Fred Van Vliet, I think would, would sort of, uh, limit that that defensive value a little bit but at the same time it's nice that both those guys can either play on the ball or off the ball right you have Fred Van Vliet playing with Kyle Lowry a lot um he showed he can step up during the the finals last year he really lit up uh, a few of those games so um I don't know I I always like I like watching him play I think he makes the right plays a lot so it'd be like a Chris Paul super light but it also the contract wouldn't be as uh, as expensive so yeah um I, I think, it is, I but it is longer it, but term. I, yeah, but at the same time, I mean, like it will likely be longer term. But at the same time, yeah. um, the point that that Winnie Pooh, I know, I'm, I'm like pretty much just scrolling through Nick's We're Twitter, here, just trying to like see see what else to talk about. But but Winnie Pooh from Posting and Toasting noted that it really depends on who the Knicks take in the draft here, right? Like if you if the best player available no, is a is a point guard, you're probably not shelling out 
major money for for Fred Van Vliet or or trying to bring on Chris Paul. So um, a lot of it may depend on that. I guess I, I think this is probably our last Knicks related question, uh, um, depending on where the conversation takes us. Assuming all else is equal, forget about what could or could not happen between the draft lottery and the draft itself, I guess. Of like the three guys we we just talked about as players, how would you like rank them on what, on which guys you would want? I th- I'm going back and forth on a few things myself, but curious where where you guys might stand. I guess uh, from a value perspective, I would I think I would go Fred VanVleet, then Chris Paul, then Christian Wood. Just uh, I think that. Christian Wood, I don't think, makes the the young guys better. Mm. I don't think he he really adds any value in that way. And I think that but both Van Vliet and Chris Paul as offense initiators uh, do. They they help to, to get the young guys in, in the right spots and, and help to make them better. So that's probably the, the order I'd go. Yeah, I think I agree with that for all the same reasons. Um, maybe Christian Wood isn't making the young guys better, but you're just hoping he is one of the young guys that is going to get better himself but you know maybe he's not going to do that too so that's just a lottery ticket at this point and you'd be paying a premium for a lottery ticket so more than you're typically gonna pay for that i think oh i think ultimately i'd probably land there as well christian would definitely third because he's young largely unproven this is his first year ever being good um, at the NBA level, and just his positional fit is odd. I get, I, I suppose I've like gotten into my head a bit. Maybe it's I've just been so abused by rooting for this team for for all the years I've been alive that I've like kind of convinced myself on getting Chris Paul because it's like, well, well, it is only two more years. But but the thing that's gonna be is that you do like know what you're getting there and you do like know for a fact he's gonna make the guys better around him and they do have a lot of young players who could really use that and Van Vliet I think is a guy who who has a very good chance to make the other guys around him better and is himself young and and could be good the duration of the contract but as a smaller guy uh, and a guy who until like last year wasn't good um I think there's merit to go to at this point going and getting Chris Paul if you're not giving up a king's ransom for him, uh, just because you know what he's going to give you. And he, he, if you see what happened with the Thunder, it seems like he made a lot of those guys a lot better, and uh, they're now a five seed. So you could definitely see that translating to what the Knicks have to a degree. Probably not as much because it is still the Knicks, and the guys probably aren't as good as it, the guys around him on the Thunder. Um, but I've, I've sort of convinced myself on going and getting Chris Paul. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with it at this point. I've, I've become numb to everything. <laughs> uh, well, so it's more about they got to try something at some point, like we mentioned. All right. So shall we dance, gentlemen? We've 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 I've waited too long. We've done a a lot of Nick stock. Uh, much more than we had anticipated when we came in, but I guess the Knicks are 
They're keeping stuff hot. They're keeping stuff interesting for us. You never know what the Knicks are going to do next. You just know that it's going to be wrong. That's what it, what it seems oh like. Um, so brutal. So where we, we pick up in episode five of The Last Dance. Uh, this one was primarily about the dream team at uh, Kobe Bryant sighting. Uh, MJ's last All-Star game where Kobe was also an All-Star. Um, so I think... I guess that, that's a decent place to start. That's kind of where it started. Um, Kobe was in it. He said some stuff. My Uncle Jordan, they showed him in the All-Star Game locker room saying that Kobe was still young and he, he didn't let the game come to him. He was just always wanted to go one-on-one. He was pretty much talking, talking, saying Kobe didn't know how to play basketball yet, essentially. In my opinion, that's what he was saying. I think he would tell you that's what he was saying, too. But it was funny, funny to see. So I don't know what you guys thought about that. That was good content. <laughs> yeah. Just leave like, I, I don't know. I, a little bit. I, uh, it was, it was cool to, I mean, given all that's happened since, like it was, it was just very cool to, to get Kobe's perspective in there and to, and to see this footage we've never seen before the, the behind the scenes locker room talk where they're all talking about Kobe. Um, it was fun. It was a, it was a, a good place to start boy. and it, yeah, that's what you called him, right? A little, a little Laker boy. Is that what you called him? Yeah, that's great. Like, um, but it, it's cool. Like, even then, I think Jordan sort of saw someone who was kind of similar in a lot of ways, and Kobe just you know doesn't back down. And you know, I, I, did Michael Jordan end up winning that All Star Game MVP? Is that how that went down? He got All Star Game MVP. It's kind of weird because they didn't mention that but maybe they're circling back to it I but think. like david stern <laughs> was going to present him the yeah the trophy he was like i'm only gonna give him this trophy if he promises to come back next season it's pretty wild that mj like i i know it's it's talked about a lot how the, the first time he retired he went out on top as the best player in the game but even the second time he retired he was still the best player in the game like that's just <laughs> It's so ridiculous, but I thought that these episodes did the best job of, of sort of outlining why that was. Like, really, they really harped on mm-hmm. all the media attention he was getting and how grating it was and just, like, all the stuff he had to deal with off the court that probably really did weigh on him. And it, it kind of let me understand for the first time what he may have been thinking if he, like – why he wanted to retire. He, he, it must have been so exhausting and, and just – he must have been sick of being Michael Jordan. Yeah, I mean, he said it in the thing that, like, he was – I forget the exact phrasing, but he said, like, he was tired of being him. Or, or he said, like, nobody would actually want to be me, I think is what he said. Yeah, he was saying, because like, people like want to be Michael Jordan stuff. for a day. They want to be him for a day, but they wouldn't want to be him for a week or a month or a year. Like, it's mm-hmm. – I, I get that. Like, that, that it yeah. seemed like – they said the moment he leaves his hotel room, he is just mobbed by people. And it was true. Like, he took one step out, and there were all of his handlers and all of his people, all of his press people. And mm-hmm. as soon as he stepped out of the elevator, there was the media, and there were the fans. It's like, that is no way to live. <laughs> that, that, that walls of fans everywhere that's, he went. That's pretty wild. I, uh, I, th- I can't relate. <laughs> it, was terif- it was terrifying, man. I, I looked at that, that's and I scary. was like, I could see why he would want to step away from that. Um, 
And it was the first time I really even was able to understand why he'd do it. Because the whole time I'm just like, he's so obsessed with competition, he even admits to being like addicted to competition. And he's like so obsessed with being the best ever and, and just leaving no doubt and just crushing his, his opponents. So it's like, why would you walk away before you were just like statistically the best, inarguably the best player ever? It didn't make sense. And, and this, these two episodes really started to, to lay the, the groundwork for it. Like the, the first episode five talked a lot about the dream team and how he was just the biggest star in the world. Like I can't even fathom that. Like a basketball player was the biggest star in the world. I think that's right. Like he was bigger than any music icon. He was bigger than the president. Like, it's just insane to even think about that. It's crazy. And it kind of brings to mind the converse, one of the conversations people have when they talk about like, like Jordan didn't have to play in the social media era. Um, and that's true. I guess he wouldn't be able to hear like directly from fans like players do now, but like nowadays you don't see like the walls of people lining the streets, like literally everywhere you go. And like the literal media, I'm pretty sure is generally nicer now as well. Um, so I, I don't know. It just kind of like gives perspective there for a lot of people who like didn't understand what the what time was like there. Like I wasn't alive, so I didn't know like that's what he was dealing with day in day out, and a lot of people didn't. Point of the documentary. Well, it was interesting. <laughs> like, <laughs> The way they framed like his initial fall from grace, like the very first time there was ever like a crack in the armor was the, the Jordan rules book that, that Sam Smith wrote. And, you know, Sam Smith, probably an MVP of the whole documentary. He's been great every time they go to him. Mm -hmm. um, but that was like the first time where he was portrayed as just this like competitive asshole. And he punched his team teammates and made sure some guys didn't get the ball or weren't allowed to shoot. And it was the very first time that he was like gone from this, you know, role model. I want to be like Mike to this, this person that, that people started having doubts about. Um, and I was surprised to hear that, that that book had as much of a impact as it did, but it really did seem to start to turn the tide on the perception of him. But at the same time, even though I think people were just very willing to accept that, yeah, He's kind of this this asshole, but he's incredible at what he does. And and people still really responded to that and connected with that. So maybe he went from like this God who is also a great guy and everyone wants to be like him to just being like this God of basketball. And that's, <laughs> and that's okay too. Yeah. And at one point he said that uh, if he could do it all over again, he, he wouldn't want to be a role model. I think that's what he said, right? Oh, maybe I made that yeah, up. I'm that pretty sure you right. said that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. I mean, uh, moving along a little bit, still in that first episode, the dream team stuff was the best. Just imagining those awesome. practices with, you know, you just got 11 of the best NBA players and then Christian Leitner, who was just an unreal college player, one of the biggest college legends to this day still. Um, and just MJ saying that the practices were the best part, just because at that point you just have, you're not playing 11 of the best players against a random Angola team. You're just playing five of the best players against five of the best players in the world. <laughs> and then they're really just showing 
going at each other trying to say who is the best player. And that's just unreal competition, just to imagine that in your head. And we had a little access always, to it. I was going to say, you always hear about these these practices, right? Like I've read all these urban legends about it, but it was so great to actually see some footage and to actually hear the trash talk and what Magic Johnson was saying about how is just the United Center brought to – you know, brought to Barcelona, like that was just great stuff. And then um, it was cool to finally get to see some of that. And like you said, that basketball must've been just next level. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. And you see how competitive they were during practice as well. You, like you said, like Magic Johnson, Magic Johnson talking that trash. You see Magic Johnson just throwing the ball into the stands and someone just yeah. handed him a new ball. That, I think that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, they were just destroyed everyone after that. Uh, another good part of the the Olympics was the Tony Kukoc stuff. I don't know if we we're, we're moving on already, but that's still part of the Olympics. Uh, Tony Kukoc, uh, Jerry Krause drafted him in the second round. Thought he was good. I mean, uh, Pippen and Jordan may have gone a little overboard with with how they handled it especially since he was a second-round draft pick. So, I mean, I don't know back in the day you know, how the second-round picks were more valuable, but I, I don't think Jerry Krause envisioned this guy being the savior of the Chicago Bulls. But thought he was good, decided to use a lottery ticket second-round pick on him. He's supposed to be the, the, the best player in the Olympics that's not on the U.S. And Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan in the round-robin round just decide to make it a point of emphasis to not let him do anything and just be just be mean to him. And Tony, <laughs> Tony Kukoc had some of the best quotes of the entire series. Uh, I know at one point he, he said, uh, everything wasn't going good at home with, like, the war and stuff. That just made me <laughs> – I was just losing it at that. Such an un- understatement. <laughs> understatement. <laughs> Basically – Nothing great. To follow up on that, he he was just saying that he just had no idea who like that these guys didn't like them or what was going on with with the Bulls or anything. And so this was just a complete surprise to him that they were going to go this hard at him. But ultimately, he ended up being like a good teammate of theirs, right? Like he, they don't win those those that second three peat without Tony Kukoc, and like I really liked his game and. I was glad that that he kind of had a good career after all this. But, you know, Scotty Pippen was saying after that first round-robin game that he didn't think Kukoc could even play in the NBA because, like, if he can't handle the pressure of this, like, he can't do an 82-game season in the NBA, which is just, like, so unfair that Kukoc is going against the best players in the whole world. And, you know, he's, like, the main focal point. But, uh you know, it's not like that in, 80, in an 82-game season of the NBA. You're not going against Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen caliber defenders every single night who are out to prove a point. Um, sometimes you're playing a game in December against, like, just a random wingman. But uh, Yeah. And that know. one I, – I, I, yeah. That quote was a little overboard since he was going to be their teammate. Uh, and Michael Jordan said as much. He said that he thought that quote was a little bit unfair by Scottie Pippen. Uh, it's funny because, like, you – Scotty Pippen said that, but then Tony Kukoc is just still just going to come to the Bulls and be like, I heard that. I heard you say that. That's messed up. 
<laughs> nah, now we're on guys, the same team. Please teach me. <laughs> you guys apologize before I, I come here. And so that, that also shows how much animosity there was toward Jerry Krause, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it seems a little overboard. <laughs> yeah. Jerry Krause. <laughs> Literally like never missed an opportunity to make like a short or fat or short and fat. He's <laughs> 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 yeah, a cigar with census growth. I don't know. I will say it was weird how adamant that Kraus was that Phil Jackson wouldn't return as a coach after that season. Like that didn't make a ton of sense to keep saying that in the media over and over again, because, because Michael Jordan made it clear that he didn't want to be coached by a different coach. Like if you have the best player in the world, who's still playing an MVP level and, and probably the greatest player of all time, why not just like keep that door open for as long as possible. You know, we like, just three-peated for the second time. We were about to three-peat for the second time with him. <laughs> and, yeah, he said he he is done if he can't play for Phil Jackson. And then they still didn't bring back <laughs> Phil Jackson. Right, okay, fine. Like, Michael Jordan is gone, too. Who cares? <laughs> right. Like, I feel like players, <laughs> have, players have so much more power nowadays in that sort of thing. But, like, organizations just really value players, which makes sense that a player, that organization would value a player of Michael Jordan's caliber. You just wonder what was going on between Kraus and Phil Jackson that got to that level that he wouldn't even consider bringing him back for another season. It's also weird that the, the Bulls three-peated twice, but then never got a chance to defend and try and four-peat. Like, neither time did they get a chance to do it because Michael Jordan retired both times. It's just bizarre. Like, they never really got beat you know? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, you can only look at the uh, 95 season when Jordan only played 17 games and came back and lost to Shaq and the Magic. And you're like, I guess, does that even count as them losing? I guess it's tough to say. I guess it counts as them losing, but it also it doesn't. So that's why MJ's legacy is so ridiculous. You can just you have people saying that, like he would have easily had an eight-peat going. Which is, you know, that's a tough statement. Um, but maybe. I don't know. And speaking of yeah, that. So what, what happened next? Was, was there some Knicks stuff after that? Yeah. The next episode was more of a they, – they focused on the 92 or 90, 93 season. So that was after the after the Olympics. So this is the, the third win in the three-peat. Um, I think they said the Knicks gave them the, the toughest fight in the in the East. Uh, they placed the Knicks in the 1993 Eastern Conference Finals, and the Knicks go up 2-0. So that was that was good times for the Knicks. They got John Starks and Patrick Ewan leading the way. John Starks dunking on Patrick Ewan, going up 2-0. We're feeling good. The Knicks are actually the one seed. They're favored. They win both games at home, and then uh, things went downhill. So. There's rumors swirling that uh, Michael Jordan was in uh, Atlantic City the night before game two, just gambling with his dad until way too late at night. He says he was there gambling, but it wasn't until too late at night. And that's just a thing that he has fun doing, and that didn't really matter. So then the, <laughs> the documentary went a little gambling swirl. But I, I think we should finish the, the Knicks series first and get into the gambling swirl. So... Yes. Could you guys imagine the Knicks being in the Eastern Conference Finals? 
I literally can't comprehend it. <laughs> it, it. It didn't compute even when I was watching it. I was like, what, this is like fiction thing now? Like it just, <laughs> I, I didn't understand when this, I don't know, man. It, it was it was crazy to see just the Knicks playing such high stakes games and like how everything mattered. And they were at the center of the basketball universe. Every year they thought they series. were going to win. Yeah. And they that were... year they really could have. They were the... And people, I think people generally say they were like every year the second best team in the NBA, just like the Bulls and Michael Jordan were were obviously better. Um, yeah, like, proven by the fact that they beat them every year. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's nuts. And there's of course all the all the memes going. There's there's people uh, putting out the the hang of the championship banner for uh, being called the Bulls' biggest competition in the <laughs> early 90s. That's a good joke. It gets me. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good joke. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, obviously the Knicks lose the Eastern Conference Finals that year, losing the actual finals in Game 7 the next year. So it's just crazy that the Knicks were actually good at basketball at one point in time. And then, like, if they had won, would that have been the championship of my lifetime, even though I would have been – one year old that maybe I'm happy that they didn't win. I don't know. I don't know. You know just, I'm I was, just talking I was, statistics at this point. I was reading on Twitter from, uh, from, I think it was Nate Jones. He was saying that just perception at the time of, of those final of those uh, series of like 93 was that Patrick Ewing was just a better all around player and had had a better career than Hakeem Olajuwon at that point. And and how that like changed so rapidly as soon as Hakeem won those two titles in a row and MJ had retired. But it is kind of crazy to think that like how much Ewing's legacy hinged on, on these two series from, from 93 and then the, mm-hmm. and then 94 in, in the finals. I don't know. Like you, you yeah. see quotes from, from Charles Oakley right now, just like saying that Patrick Ewing didn't, you know, wasn't a leader and all these like things that yeah. just don't. He basically don't said Ewing was the problem. Yeah, it's just like he could only get us to game seven of the NBA finals. That's <laughs> as far as he got us. He couldn't carry us. It's not like those teams were stacked with talent. I don't know. I don't remember watching. Like, I was quite young during these series too, so I don't remember really watching them. But looking back and you see like Xavier McDaniel, I'm like, oh, that guy seems pretty, pretty tough. Like I like him. Uh, Anthony Mason, like these are good players, but their number two guy wasn't like some all-star, right? It was only ever Patrick Ewing. who was only the only all-star on this team. John Starks. If John Starks is the second best player on your team, the first player is probably pretty good if you're a legit title contender under that. Yeah, that's fair. If you're going Patrick Ewing. Even using some hindsight stuff. Patrick Ewing and John Starks going against Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and taking a 2-0 lead. You got to be – that's pretty good. Yeah. Someone someone had yeah. to be really good at basketball in there. Uh, but it that, just struck me that, that Ewing was, like, better than Elijah Wan in a lot of people's uh, lives. That and was, nowadays, it's just, like, that's not even considered, I don't think. Like, uh, he, like you, Elijah you're telling is, me is that, completely better. Yeah, you're telling me that just now is, like, quite eye-opening. Yeah, me as well. Because now I'm thinking, like, if the Knicks just win – Game seven of ninety ninety four finals, then Patrick Ewing is like his legacy is completely different. That's it's just crazy thought. How <laughs> how legacies they, can swing so drastically. If they this had is, like just 
gotten past the Bulls once or like just beat the Rockets the year they went head to head, just beat them. Like it's as simple as that. Like how much is Ewing's legacy different? Cause like outside of the Knicks world and even within the Knicks world, it, it does feel like he's largely forgotten as like one of the all time great players. And like, if he just like won once, he'd be, he'd be right there. He'd probably yeah. be in the conversation with Hakeem when at one point he was ahead. And now in our timeline, Hakeem is decidedly better. Yeah, that's true. If you're, if you're just talking top 10 players, some people are mentioning Hakeem in there. No one's mentioned Patrick Ewing. And if you said Patrick Ewing, they'd be like, no. If you're including Ewing in like your top 30, you're, you'll get like laughed at. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Cause at this point, you're probably putting people like KG over Patrick Ewing, which maybe that's not right, but he won the championship in the Bulls yeah. or with the Celtics. So that I man, Tom really just blowing my mind right now. I think this is also, <laughs> I know. This is Patrick a, Ewing, it turns out, was good at basketball. <laughs> this is like this is like an entire podcast we I need to have where just how one game could change your entire legacy. Because now I'm just thinking about, like, the other day I was watching, they, they did, like, the top ten semifinal moments, and it was the Kawhi buzzer beater was number one. And it's just like, damn, that 76ers team was really good. And so, like, Jimmy Butler becomes a legend if Kawhi misses that and the Sixers win. Man, now I'm just all over the place. I'm, my mind's blown, Tom. I'm saying, man, I, I read that tweet, and, like, this this guy, Nate Jones, like, he's kind of a basketball historian. Like, he, he doesn't just say stuff. Like, he knows what he's talking about. He was around back then. So, um, I don't know. It really did. It blew my mind. That's why I brought it up. But uh, was there anything else from the, from the last dance you wanted to We'll table that. There? We'll table that, and uh, that'll be in a whole podcast that I need to have. Um, gambling and the Suns are the last two things to talk about. Gambling was uh, Jordan – Said he didn't have a game problem because he could stop if he wanted to, but he didn't want to. Seemingly, everybody who has a problem, what they would say. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like it's the, the difference. Want to. The no. difference with like Jordan and other people who who have put said similar things when asked similar questions is that like Michael Jordan very legitimately had unlimited money, so like yeah. He was not putting like himself or his family in, in harm's way with his gambling. He was just like kind of an asshole and clearly like was preoccupied with gambling. But like it's yeah. not like it was detrimental for anyone else. So Yeah. And then there was at one point he was like paid a fifty seven thousand dollar check to like a Gangster, I don't, uh, I don't know. Was that guy a gangster? Slim. He was. He was something. His name's Slim. Money launderer. <laughs> yeah. His name was Slim. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like Slim Bola. Because like at that point, something like that. I've never might, heard of that guy before. You have a problem. Yeah, me neither. That sounded. That was an interesting part of the story as well. Yeah, like a lot of this stuff, I feel like I've heard before, and like I'm kind of familiar with, and there are some parts of it. I'm just like, I've never even heard that name before. Like, where's this going? And that was definitely one of the parts was like, they're doing courtroom sketches and you're just like, what, where, what's that? <laughs> yeah. was, was this yeah. like known at the time? I don't even know. Yeah. We got to We got to make a list Simple. of like the, of like the stuff we really, really learned through the last dance. I know the Dennis Rodman 48 yeah. Vegas, 48 hour Vegas trip was a, a mind blower. This 
$57,000 check and Jordan testifying in court about his gambling. That was another mind blower. People are are saying things like in criticism of the last dance. We're like, well, yeah, but we knew so much of it. But I I do think if we like, and maybe this will be after episode 10, something that'll be like a whole episode we do is just like, you know, looking back, all this stuff is stuff we definitely didn't know before. And like, yeah, maybe some people did, but in general, the public like was not aware of this. Like nobody knew the the slim bowler thing. Stu just going around hustling people with like a Jerry curl named slim. I don't know what you expect. (laughs) Uh, Just to go back to that next thing real quick. Every stereotype. (laughs) They did show, um, they did show like the sequence with Charles Smith with the, was it the block block strip block. Um, But I'd always kind of thought of that as like, if Charles Smith had made any of those layups, then the Knicks would have won. But yeah, I, I think that get, given like the context of the of the game, it seemed like was that just a tie or was it, I just I remember watching and be like, oh, it wasn't quite as dramatic as it's been made out to be in the years since. Where like that wasn't the that wasn't the whole reason that the Knicks lost the series. It wasn't the whole reason that they lost the series because they lost in six. But I think that might have put them up. It's one like point. a. It's, know, it's an emblematic play. Yeah, um, I think because they lost that game by three, and uh, I think the Bulls went on a fast break and stunked it at the end there, didn't they? Or maybe that. Yeah, it's something like true. with him not being able to get a real shot off and like getting the quick turnaround or something. It was, it was like a four point swing and they lost by three or whatever. But yeah, yeah they they didn't end up showing how the Bulls actually won that game. I for, yeah, I forget. I remember being like, "What the heck." How, Right, but, like, I think if Charles Smith <laughs> would have made that, it would have iced the game or something. I, I forget entirely how, how it yeah. works. I had to go back and look. But I remember thinking, like, that wasn't the series decider as it's kind of yeah. made out to be. I guess mentally, sense, but, sure. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. That just gives the I Bulls. can't say what it was, what it felt like at the time. It gives the Bulls the 3-2 lead instead of the Knicks the 3-2 lead, I guess. Like I said, I think they were losing by one, and that would have got, put them ahead with under 10 seconds left. So, obviously, you give Jordan 10 seconds, then you still get a problem. So, I, I don't know. And lastly, after the Bulls beat the Knicks, they faced the Phoenix Suns and Charles Barkley, and Charles Barkley was balling. Charles Barkley was like just an absolute monster back in the day. And I think a lot of people are probably learning that as well. Now, I know we probably – we knew it, but when you see it, it's it's different. You see Charles Barkley dropping 41 points in the NBA Finals, and he's the guy going toe-for-toe against Jordan, uh, making making the Phoenix Suns have a, a 1-1 series, stealing the game against the Bulls. Or no, I think the Suns were the home team, but evening the series after going down one and then willing his team into a – to a second win when they're down 3-1, so to get to 3-2, ultimately lost in six. But he was just, just an absolute monster. He was on the dream team. And then he's another one of those guys like Patrick Ewing. If you just win a championship, you're just it's just different for you. Yeah, and it's also weird to see him shoot a basketball because every highlight is of him just like 
using his freak athleticism and his strength and just he's like a power forward version of Russell Westbrook a little like he but even Russ will do like pull up mid-rangers you really don't see Charles Barty take outside shots all of his buckets are in the paint spinning getting to the like to the glass and he made a I think he's actually like statistically the worst three-point shooter like the worst volume three-point shooter of all time and Russ might be gunning for that for that title (laughs) but but so many there were a couple of highlights <laughs> there are a couple of highlights of Barkley taking outside shots and it was like oh I don't know that I've ever really seen that before that, yeah that I didn't different. in my head as a guy who never watched him I assumed he never tried three-point shots because uh why would he have but yeah a bunch of years of, of averaging basically three three-point attempts a game and all very uh, low percentages right yeah the highest percentage he did. He shot thirty, rounding up thirty four percent on uh th- on three point two attempts per game. That was his best three point year. That'll keep you coming back. But like last <laughs> all star year, his last all star year, four attempts per game, twenty eight percent shooting. Yeah, man. He's not. He's not a shooter. But like all of his points came in transition. He was just like always just like faster and good. He was such a quick jumper. You just see him, he like gets up in the air and the second he lands, he's back up in the air again. Like that dude was a freak athlete for his size and strength um, and had great touch around the basket. And I think that's why he was so good. And then he was fun to watch. There aren't a whole lot of guys, like it's almost like Giannis a little bit, right? Like you don't really think of Giannis as taking pull-up mid-rangers or taking many threes, but he just gets to the basket and he's like Charles Barkley, except, you know, elongated. But uh, that, that's kind of the player that, that we're talking about. I, I compared him to Russ and Giannis. So there you go. That's fair. Yeah. And then I, I know we, before the podcast, we had a little short conversation. Uh, who would you guys take, Charles Barkley or Draymond Green? <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 I mean, honestly, watching this last dance, I mean, you already knew it, but watching this last dance and you're seeing Charles Barkley be the guy on an NBA Finals team against Michael Jordan, and you're listening to Draymond Green tell Charles Barkley to shut up. <laughs> and he was like, "You don't, you shouldn't talk to Charles Barkley." Yeah, Charles Barkley, I mean, people, he won uh, MVP. people my age, I think, like don't know how good he was, and it was a bit eye-opening um, to, to see like just how good he was. Like I knew, he, I knew it, in principle he was good. Um, yeah, but yeah he's like, just like he was like a bad dude. Tom just mentioned he won the MVP, so I guess yeah. was it won an MVP over Michael Jordan. And no one yeah. points to that season being like ridiculous. Like you know, there there are more egregious MVPs out there. I think Charles Barkley deserved one, and uh, yeah, like Draymond. I know there are like some uh, some all encompassing stats that will show that Draymond's peak was more valuable than Charles Barkley's peak. I can specifically point to one called player impact plus minus PIPM. And it shows like Draymond's one season, I think it was 2017 where it was just, it was higher than any of Charles Barkley's. I'm just like, I'm sorry. I don't like so much of that has to do with context and, and player Who's deployment them. and who your teammates are. It's like, what's expected of you. Charles Barkley was the, the cog, the central part of this team and it was expected to create offense 
every single night. And if, and Draymond Green just never – I mean, he, he would pass a lot and he'd rack up a lot of assists because his guys were great shooters. And he had great, he had great vision and was a great defender, an all-time defender. But Charles Barkley is just on a whole different plane as a basketball player in terms of just <laughs> – scoring the basket the, the whole point of the game i don't know it's just <laughs> right. yeah, i think I defensively they they're probably quite close uh without looking at numbers or <laughs> having existed to watch charles barkley play like defensive possessions in real time um yeah, i think probably barkley pretty is close draymond is like a, an all-time defender but like on offense it's just not a question even even like the as a guy who who has been fairly complimentary of Draymond in the past um I mean Charles Barkley won MVP that that is all he got in discussion even with the the PIPM like Draymond technically had one year better than any of Barkley's singular years that doesn't change like the whole career um being what they are there's that, and then there's – I mean, I could also even see the argument where if you were creating a team and building it around Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and even even Kevin Durant, if you wanted to add him in, that Draymond Green would be the better complement to those players because Charles Barkley couldn't – I mean, Draymond couldn't really shoot threes, but Draymond was a much better and more be versatile defender. And, and it was, a, it was a, I think he was a better passer. I mean, Barkley had some upwards of five assists – per game seasons, but I think Draymond in general had better vision. But so I, I could see the argument where like Draymond is a better complimentary player next to these guys, but that's not what the argument is. The argument is he's <laughs> a better basketball player and there, there's just no question about it. I know, and I know Greg brought it up even as a joke and, and we're, I'm probably debating it too seriously. Mm. Um, I'm it, should, it should remain, it, it should remain a joke. <laughs> All right. I think we've had our fun. Unless anybody has any final thoughts, we had a we went for a run today, hour twenty plus. Yeah, uh, we didn't anticipate on my counter. So we didn't anticipate talking about the Knicks so much, despite this being talking Knicks. But we did. We we even talked about them during our last dance discussion. So thanks for listening. We had fun. Um, tweet us if you have questions. If you want to talk to us, that sounds fun. Um, anyways, thanks for listening. We'll catch you soon. Five-star review, all that. Oh, yeah, that, that part.